Hey folks, welcome to the State Tax Show. This is Matt Hunsaker. It's been a crazy year for state and local tax ballot initiatives. So let's do a quick rundown of what happened earlier this month. Sandwich. I replace E A I and A Actors Cray and a Coconut Cave. So we had a couple of my nieces come into town to visit, and in just a couple days, they somehow made my two youngest girls fluent in Pig Latin. My daughter was complaining in that audio clip about dinner. I still have no idea what her problem was, but if you know feel free to drop me a line. Over the last month, all eyes have really been fixed on the presidential election. But us salt folks have also been watching a huge lineup of tax-related ballot initiatives, mostly on the West Coast and, of course, mostly in California. Let me give you a quick rundown on the initiatives. My goal here is to give you a flavor for what they were about and whether they passed. There are enough of them that we really just don't have time for a deep dive. But feel free to hit me up if you have any questions. If I get enough questions on a particular topic, then maybe I'll do another episode providing a little more depth and detail. All right, let's get started, and we're going to work our way from east to west. Illinois, like many states, has a gaping hole in its budget, and to address it back in June of 2019, and that's even before COVID, the legislature passed a law that would have changed the personal income tax, which is currently a single flat rate, to a graduated rate ranging from 4.75% to 7.99% starting in 2021. It would have also increased the corporate rate from 7% to 7.99%. There's also a, re- a, a replacement tax component, so the total rate would have been 10.49%. Well, the law was contingent on changing the Constitution, because Illinois' Constitution only allows a single rate of tax for individuals and prevents the corporate tax rate from exceeding an 8 to 5 ratio of the individual income tax rate. So on the ballot this election was the Illinois Fair Tax, which would have allowed these graduated rates and an increased corporate tax rate. So essentially it would have changed the Constitution so the legislation that's already passed would be effective. Well, and this surprised me a little, it was rejected by 55% of the voters. So now Illinois is going to have to look for other ways to bridge that budget gap. Let's head over to Colorado, where a couple propositions passed. The first was Proposition 116, which reduces the income tax rate for individuals and corporations just a little bit, from 4.63 to 4.55%. The voters also repealed what is called the Gallagher Amendment, 
And this limits the total share of property taxes that are paid on residential property statewide to 45% of all property taxes. So now that that's repealed, and depending on what the local governments actually do, this could lead to a shift from business property to residential property uh, as far as the property tax burden is concerned. Let's drop down south into Arizona. In Arizona, voters approved an income tax increase for high earners. The measure tags on an extra 3.5% rate for single filers with income over 250000 and for couples, it's uh, income over $500,000. And that tax rate is supposed to help fund education. Let's head on up to the land of many taxes, Portland. Kind of a mixed bag up there. The first one we'll talk about is Portland Metro Measure 26-218. This would have allowed a payroll tax of up to 0.75% on employers with more than 26 employees. Well, that measure failed, but another measure did pass, and that was 26-214. This passed a tax on higher earners in Multnomah County to fund universal preschool. Someday we're going to have to go through the list of all the taxes in the Portland area. I think you would be shocked if you're not familiar with it just to see how long that list is. But now let's move on to what you've all been waiting for, the news in California. Let's start with the state and then finish up with San Francisco. Since the 1970s, California has had Proposition 13, which essentially caps property values at their purchase price with some small annual increases until the property is sold and then it gets reassessed at its fair market value. The idea with this law was to prevent people from being forced out of their homes as property values went up and the related property taxes just became too much for them. Prop 15 would have carved out commercial properties from Proposition 13, allowing them to be regularly reassessed at fair market value. So you may have heard of this referred to as the split roll property tax, where you have the split between residential and commercial. Well, Prop 15 failed, and so Proposition 13 now remains the law for both residential and commercial properties. But I don't think that we have heard the end of this one yet. Proposition 19 is also related to the Prop 13 regime. What it does is it allows retirees and others to move around within California and keep their old house's property tax value. That's a little bit of an oversimplification. And Prop 19 makes that a little bit easier for people to do, in fact, to do it multiple times. The trade-off is that Prop 19 now severely limits the ability for parents to transfer real property to their children without triggering a Prop 13 reassessment. The exemption for transfers of real property to children used to be pretty robust. But now it only applies to the parent's principal residence, and the child has to continue to use it as their personal residence as well. 
And there's also a cap on how much of the value can be kept from being reassessed. Unlike Prop 15, Prop 19 passed, but by just a small margin. The law does not go into effect until mid-February. So if you've got yourselves a lot of California real property, there are some things that can be done in the next few months to move property to the next generation without causing a reassessment. Now, if that interests you, feel free to give me a ring and I can connect you with our awesome folks in our private wealth team that can navigate some of those issues. I should also mention that California passed Proposition 22. I think many of you are familiar with that because it's been all over the news. And this addresses when rideshare and delivery services can treat folks as independent contractors as, as, as opposed to employees. And this was in response to the controversial AB5, which I will say is still the law, except for this particular carve-out. So that's it for the state, but let's talk about San Francisco, where there was all kinds of action. Let's run through some of their propositions. I may need to come back and do this one in more depth, but well, at least let's get started. Let's start with Proposition F. Most people seem to want to call that the business tax overhaul. I'm glad the city uses letters with their propositions so we don't get confused with the state propositions that use numbers. Proposition F does a couple things. First, it repeals the city's payroll tax, and that's a tax that's been around for decades. I think it goes back to maybe 1970. It was supposed to go away a few years back. I think it was going to phase out from like 14 to 18. But in 2018, the city froze that sunset of the payroll tax. So under Proposition F, in exchange for the payroll tax finally going away, the city's gross receipts tax rates skyrocket for many industries. You see, the tax rate that applies to your gross receipts depends on what industry you're in. I think the rates go up from anywhere from 40 to 85%, with the rate for information services going up the most. We don't see these increases all at once. They actually ramp up over the next four years. Now, some of the industries that have been hit hard by COVID you know, think about like some of the retail and restaurants, they are going to see a dip in their rate for a bit until they recover. If you pay the San Francisco gross receipts tax, you're going to need to watch out for changes to how they calculate estimated tax, because now they require you to use the new rate based on your prior gross receipts if you want to fit within the safe harbor from being penalized. There's some more nuance here with regard to the administrative office tax, which is still going to be subject to the payroll tax, but we don't have enough time to really dig into that. And there's also an elimination of a tax credit for taxpayers who are paying, and I'm using some of the language here, substantially similar gross receipts taxes to other tax jurisdictions on San Francisco-sourced gross receipts. I'm still noodling on that one a bit to see if we might have some sort of a systemic problem as a result of that change and the elimination of that credit. I'll report back if I come to any conclusions on that. Going alphabetically, the next proposition was Proposition I. 
which basically doubles the amount of real estate transfer tax. The rate can be as high as 6% for transactions over $25 million. Yikes. This one makes me nervous because so many people seem to forget that in California, the sale of an entity holding real estate can trigger the transfer tax. So it's now more important than ever when we're dealing with a 6% transfer tax to make sure that you're not doing things to trigger changes of control of legal entities holding real estate and thereby triggering a huge documentary transfer tax that you may not have been planning on. I'm going to cut out some of the small stuff and finish up with Proposition L. This one takes the cake with having the most politically and emotionally charged name. It's called the Overpaid Executive Tax. Proposition L passed, but it does not go into effect until 2022. Proposition L is similar to a tax idea that we've talked before where if the CEO, or in this case, the highest paid managerial employee, makes more than 100 times the median compensation for San Francisco-based employees, if that happens, then the company gets a 0.1% surcharge to their gross receipts tax. And if the ratio goes even higher, say to 600 to 1, then the surcharge goes up to 0.6%. This is going to be a really wacky tax for companies to plan for because it includes stock compensation in the calculations for compensation. So that means some companies may get hit in years where, say, an executive's stock vests, but then go away in other years. There's also a lot of exemptions out there, primarily with small businesses and financial services corporations. I should also mention if you are subject to the administrative office tax, and you hopefully know if you are, then there is a similar surcharge system under the payroll tax that applies there. Oh, well, that was a lot. It sure was a busy year for ballot measures on the West Coast. And as I have said probably a million times, keep your eyes on local taxes. I think this is just a flavor for what is to come. I hope each and every one of you have yourselves a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you enjoy time with family and reflecting on those things that you're grateful for. The State Tax Show will be back next Monday. Until then, have yourselves a great week. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.